praise to the glory of God.
The prophet Isaiah tells us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord, neither are my ways your ways. Let us seek him now, confess our sins together, trusting in his merciful forgiveness. God of glory, we confess that our lives have not glorified you. God of justice, we admit our complicity with systems of injustice. God of light, we are aware of the shadows we create that keep others from seeing you. All-inclusive God, we repent of our narrow vision and our tendency to exclude. Purge us of the idols that keep us from full commitment to the way of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. God hears our prayers. He loves and values us. He forgives what is past and calls us to new life as disciples of his Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are free to begin again, to rebuild our relationships, and to live with joy. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. And now with believers down through the centuries, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you in the love of Christ to turn and greet your neighbors.
Good morning. You know, I'm now a Florida State fan. Did you know that? <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Anyway, congratulations to you, you Florida State people. God bless you. That's good. Humility is a spiritual gift. We are grateful that you're with us this morning as we gather for worship on this beautiful Beautiful morning. We hope that you will find this to be a place of welcome, that you will know that this is the family of God that ex extends a welcome to all people. We hope that you will find here a place not only for you to feel welcome, but also for you to be empowered to be about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in uh, this world. We encourage you to fill out the friendship pads, which are in the pews, and pass those along to your neighbor. And uh, we don't want that to be simply a rote exercise. We really do want you to pay attention to those names that you see, the people in your pew, um, because that may be a catalyst for further conversation. Even right down where you're from, you know, maybe uh, somebody will say, oh, I'm from there, and, you know, or, you know you're in a, in a conversation. We invite you to join us on this beautiful morning out underneath the tree for some fellowship, for a chance to enjoy uh, some continued uh, conversation uh, under the shadows of that beautiful tree. We uh, have lots of things going on, of course, as always here at Church of the Palms. This is a 24-7 a, uh, congregation, so lots of things that we invite you to consider. Next, uh, with this uh, next hour, after this particular hour of worship at 1015, we'll have our new members class. If you would like to learn more about life here at Church of the Palms and how you can be a part of it, we would love to have you come. No commitment, just come, listen, learn. And uh, if you would like to join our church, we would love to have you uh, be a part of us. So that's at 1015 right next door in the chapel. Our Palms men will be gathering next Saturday for breakfast, and the time in the bulletin is not the time that uh, we are inviting you to come. We're actually meeting at 8 o'clock, not 8.30, but uh, there's sign-ups still available for you underneath the tree. We'd love to have you put your name down so that we can count on you, know how much to cook for. But a great program. Jay Krause will be here talking about men's ministry. We, you really won't want to miss that opportunity. Jay's a great great uh, uh, speaker and a real passion person about men in ministry. We would love to have you uh, join us for our new SHAPE class, which begins next week. And SHAPE is an opportunity for you to kind of figure out more sort of where your little niche is in the life of the kingdom. Where, do you, where, do you, uh, we, uh, where are you being called to live out your life in the church? What are your particular uh, personalities and your gifts and all those kinds of things that come together to allow you to be an effective servant and disciple of Jesus Christ? It's a wonderful class. I've taken it. I've had an opportunity to learn lots about my own we would love for you to come and learn as well about yourself so that you may figure out how God is calling you in ministry. In two weeks, we will have our annual congregational meeting, and uh, we invite you to uh, come and be a part of that. That will be at 12 o'clock after the, our second service, but uh, we'll have lots to share about our year past, lots of gratitude, and lots of great challenge as we look ahead into 2014, and we'll be anxious to share that with you during that meeting. 
And then lastly, our Stephen ministers are just about ready to begin a new training class. This is a wonderful opportunity of ministry for you to be involved, to learn more about how to uh, be a pastoral caregiver to people in our congregation, to walk alongside of them as a layperson, to be an effective listener. And uh, we would love to have you consider uh, being a part of that. If you'd like to, uh, please reach out to Dr. Mingy Brown, and she would be glad to talk to you more about that. Let's continue our worship. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do lift up our hearts in praise to you, for you are the author and the source of all blessing. We thank you for your presence in this place, for the community of faith that you are building here on Bee Ridge Road that we know and love as Church of the Palms. And we ask that you would build here more and more a community of faith and lay out for us a way of life that is pleasing to you and a blessing to those who are around us. Lord, we thank you for 
the opportunity to participate in a church family where all the generations are represented in such exciting ways. We thank you for the way that old and young learn from and encourage and even challenge one another. We thank you for the presence of those who have made a membership commitment recently and those who have been part of this congregation for decades. For the way that you, by the work of your spirit, blend talents and interests and experiences and abilities for the purpose of building up your kingdom, for the purpose of drawing us close together with one another and closer in our walk with you. We pray for the new member class that is coming up, that you would bring just the right people to that gathering. We pray for the many ministries that happen here on our campus throughout the week for the food pantry in which hungry people from our own area are served, for the tutoring ministry in which children from area schools uh, enter into mentoring relationships with uh, people from this church family. We pray for our mission teams that are preparing to go to Honduras to minister with our longtime mission partners there. We pray for our session and the important decisions being made at this time of year, that we would always be attentive to the guiding of your Holy Spirit. We pray for those in our church family who are experiencing challenge and going through times of need or illness. And thank you for the privilege of being part of a caring church family with shepherding deacons and visiting pastors and friends who care and love and support and pray. We thank you for the privilege, O oh God, of living in this great land where liberty is a cornerstone value. Liberty to serve you, liberty to worship you, liberty to care for those in need. And so we pray for leaders in our city, in our state, and at the national and international levels who make heavy and important decisions that impact the lives of thousands or even millions. Lord, we pray for those who serve in the military and in government service that you would protect them and encourage them. We pray that you would use us to accomplish your purpose. Unite us together as we lift up the prayer that Jesus taught his followers to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
And now as an important facet of our worship, we return to God a portion of the blessing he has showered upon us. The ushers, please come forward as we receive the morning tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, you pour out your blessing upon us in so many ways. And so we give these gifts this morning as a sign, as a sign of our love for you, as a sign of our faith and trust in you, as a sign of our gratitude. For all you have given as a sign that we believe 
and your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ, whom you gave, that we might have life and have it in abundance. Bless these gifts to accomplish your purpose. We ask it in the name of the one who was and who is and who is to come. Amen. And now I would like to invite the children to come forward to the chancel steps here for a time with Miss Moira and some other people who are dressed in very interesting ways. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So glad you're here today. I've got some friends with me to help tell the Bible story. We've got Jesus. I'm going to turn around and face everybody. John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit. Use, use your imagination. Now, Jesus and John were cousins. And John dressed very strangely, as you can see. He also ate strange things. The Bible tells us that his clothes were made from camel hair. He lived out in the wilderness, and he ate wild honey and locusts. John, what do you got there? A net to catch my dinner. All righty. Well, it looks like you might have some of your dinner up here in your hair, but we'll just take that out for you so you can eat it. Now, despite John's very strange appearance, people flocked to hear what he had to say. He gathered people on the shores of the Jordan River, Turn away from your sins. God will forgive you. John baptized them in the Jordan River. <laughs> Ready? Now, right, right now you're just getting a little bit of the mist from the river, but actually these people went all the way in the river. It was a different kind of baptism than we do here. Pretty soon people started calling him John the Baptist, and they came from Jerusalem and all over Judea to hear him preach. John said to them, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming after me who has the Holy Spirit and who is the true one sent from God. Do you guys all know who that was? Who was it? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. So Jesus said to John, Baptize me. John was so surprised because he felt like he was completely unworthy to baptize Jesus. He said, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. How can I baptize you? But he went ahead and he dunked Jesus down into the murky waters of the Jordan River. And when Jesus came up all dirty, heaven split open and a white dove soared down and landed <laughs> on Jesus' shoulder. A voice from heaven said, this is my son, and I love him. I am very pleased with him. John had a really big job to do, and he wasn't scared by the fact that he was a little bit different or why is God choosing me. He read scripture from the Old Testament. He knew that God had prophesied a messenger would come before Jesus, and he felt that he was that messenger, and he answered that call. He gathered all that knowledge, and he shared it with the people on the Jordan River. He knew one important thing, that discovering God's word helps us to know Jesus better. And so that's why he went to all that work to find that out. Pray with me. 
God, thank you for sharing your word with us so that we may know your son better and that we will know that all true knowledge comes from you, the author and creator of everything in this world. Amen. All right, let's go to the kids' worship. be seated. This morning we begin a new sermon series, new year, new sermon series. We are going to be paying attention to something that you and I recite just about every Sunday here in this sanctuary, and that is the Apostles' Creed. We recite it, many of us have it memorized, many of us have known it since we were children. And uh, I thought it was important for us to take a look at this creed and to kind of unpack what it is that we're saying. What is it that we say that we believe and what implications is it to have on our lives? The series is called The Love Languages of God. That title is uh, borrowed from another book 
called the five love languages and we're going to be also taking some look at that as well but we're going to be taking a look at these three love languages of god as god loves us through being father through being son and through being holy spirit these are the three sections of the apostles creed and we're going to take a look at that and understand how is it that god really does seek to involve himself in our life and how does he draw us into his life such that we might become more and more his children so today we're going to begin by looking at this notion of the trinity father son and holy spirit and what does that really mean when we think of god as father son and holy spirit what impact might that have on our lives and to do so we're going to take a look at two texts from the old testament and the new testament uh, the first from the book of genesis chapter 18. But before I read that, also I want to invite you to come to our evening class on Sunday, which we'll carry out throughout this series until Easter. We will be uh, meeting at uh, 5.30 every um, Sunday night, and we will be talking a little bit more about the particular uh, part of the creed that we're in on Sunday morning. We're going to be unpacking that some more, trying to understand some of the uh, theology behind it, what does it mean about our lives. So we invite you to come be a part of that. You can be a part of a small group that extends out of that class on Sunday night. So lots of good things. We are going to be, we are going to be experts on the Apostles' Creed come the end of this winter season. So back to chapter 18 of Genesis, beginning at the first verse. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought to wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, well, they're in the tent. Then one said, well, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I've grown old, and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied saying, I didn't laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, oh yes, you did laugh. Our second text is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, which was beautifully illustrated for you just a moment ago. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, the John, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. 
John would have prevented him saying, I need, I need to be baptized for you, by you, but you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, O Lord, we pray that these words to come will point to the word just read and to the word made flesh, the one that we know as Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name, amen. <clears throat> a year or so ago, one of the great headlines in the world of science was the discovery of the Higgs boson particle. For close to 50 years, theoretical physicists had postulated that the universe had at the very essence a fabric, a particle, much more fundamental and much more elusive than the common ordinary atom. In many ways that had yet to be discovered, they believed that the world was held together by this particular particle. It had been coined the God particle by Leon Letterman, a Nobel-winning particle physicist whose book promoted the development of a superconductor, an accelerator that would be able to move matter in such a velocity that a, such a particle, if it existed, would be revealed. And sure enough, in July of 2012, physicists walked forth from their laboratories and announced to the world that they had seen God, or should I say, the God particle. This particle that serves as the very substance of the universe, the, the mass, as it were, behind the mass. Now, I don't begin to understand all these things. I'm just a dumb preacher. My scientific knowledge goes as far as my eighth grade science class where Mrs. Loney tried to explain to us back then about what an atom was. Back then, atoms were the big deal. They were the essence of the universe, and I can remember as if it were yesterday that diagram that Mrs. Loney had us look at over and over again that described theoretically how the atom worked. You remember this, I'm sure, and what I remember is this, this little circle inside a bigger circle. Do you remember this? I realize we're scientifically challenged here. But <laughs> inside the little circle, the thing that was called the nucleus, there were two particles, a proton and a neutron. And then circulating around the proton and neutron, there was an electron. It was the essence of an atom, this confluence and dance of these three entities, proton, neutron, and electron. Now, now for your sci you scientists out there, I know that it's not as simple as that, and that I'm revealing at this very point my ignorance. But as I already told you, I'm a dumb preacher, so go with me on this. This atom, this confluence of 
and dance of proton and neutron and electron particles, I learned contained, though we couldn't see it, contained immense power. There is a great energy in this basic particle. In fact, the talk back then and the talk even now is about what happens when you split an atom. When you split an atom, you access and you unleash one of the great powers of the universe. Much of our energy and much of our capacity to destroy each other has to do with how we access and unleash the power and energy found in this invisible to the naked eye particle of the universe. It would seem one of the fundamental laws of the universe, in fact, that the things we can least see are the things that have the greatest power. The things we can least see are the things that have the greatest power. Now, when it comes to curious and powerful sightings, the Genesis story writer tells us about Abraham and Sarah being paid a visit by three visitors. Last week, we talked about three visitors, or at least three gifts of the visitors that visited Jesus, the wise men. Today, we see the visit of three men to Abraham and Sarah, an old couple in the land of Canaan who have been, been unable to have children. God has promised them, though, that of them he will make a great nation, but now they are far up in age, far beyond childbearing years, and it doesn't appear that God is going to come through with his promise. But then there arrived these three persons, and the Genesis writer calls these three persons the Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham, and when Abraham looked up, he says, he saw three men. Now, we're not quite sure what to make of this. The Lord visits in the personage of three men. We're not, we're not quite sure what this means. Are they angels? Are they heavenly visitors? Are they earthly messengers? Is this an early sign of the Trinity? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But in the confluence of these three, there is the one voice of God and a prophecy and an energy that is about to be unleashed. Guess what they say? Abraham, Sarah's going to have a baby. The movement of the three into the lives of the two is going to produce a new life into an old couple. The movement of the three into the lives of two is going to produce a new life into an old couple. God is up to something in the visit of these three, something strange and beautiful and nation-building. Never has such power and energy been discovered. No physicist has ever seen it, but it is the proximity of these three who speak in the voice of the Lord that brings about promise and hope for all the people, something miraculous. Dare we call it a power born out of the foundations of the world, something out of the very essence of the universe. An unleashing, can we say, of the God particle. And the only thing that Sarah can do in the face of such power and prophecy is to laugh. It is something so out of this world that has seemed now to come into this world as into the world as the womb of an old woman. Today, the Universal Church celebrates the baptism of the Lord, 
And the lectionary points us to the text we read in Matthew chapter 3. And there in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus appears in the wilderness. Jesus, who himself has been unleashed in the womb of a young woman, Jesus makes his way into the waters of the Jordan and meets John the Baptist. Now, John knows what is happening. John knows he is being visited by a power, a power from beyond. John is being approached by the elemental forces of the universe. So he stops and he stammers because the only thing you're supposed to do when the cosmic forces approach, you're supposed to get down on your knees. You are in the face of true power. But of course, John has it wrong. The true power is the power that kneels itself. The, the true power is the power that humbles himself. For righteousness to be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am the one who gets down on his knees. I am the one who must be submerged into the waters. This is the elemental force of the universe, humility on its way to loving and redeeming the world. And so John does his duty. He baptizes our Lord, the humbled to be the humbler. And so as to make sure there is no mistake about this, all this, all of a sudden from heaven comes a dove and the voice of the Father who is heard to say, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. He has fulfilled the righteousness. He has submitted to the baptism. He has knelt and humbled himself and now the confluence of the three are about their mission in the world the mission of power and promise that will discover be discovered in the humble love of the son walking the dusty trails of Palestine something is being unleashed here and it takes only a moment for the spirit to drive the son into the wilderness where the first act of redemption comes through the penitential fast and the face to face with the devil. The cosmic love and power of the Trinity is already at work from, from the beginnings of creation, redeeming that same creation from a grip on the evil one. The unleashing, dare we say, of the divine particle. And it all ends up with Jesus the same Jesus being strapped onto a cross, and what do they attempt to do? They attempt to split the particle. They attempt to split the atom, to pierce his side, to nail his hands and feet, and what they didn't know when they were doing that was what they were doing was that they were unleashing a cosmic and elemental force into the universe. It was the force of love. It was the greatest love. No greater love, did Jesus say, that a person could have, the one who would lay down his life for his friends. The confluence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit holds within it the power of the universe that makes the greatest nuclear reactor seem like a triple-A battery. And the power is love. The power is life. Life, life through love. This is what happens, you see, when you encounter the divine particle, when you approach the confluence of proton, neutron, electron, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you tap into the elemental force not to be reckoned with because instead it wants to reckon with you. It wishes to fulfill you, to overwhelm you, to make you into a new creation, sons and daughters of God, vessels of the Holy Spirit, Agents of grace and love. C.S. Lewis put it this way, 
the whole dance or drama or pattern of this three personal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to be played out in each one of us or putting it the other way around, each one of us has got to enter into that pattern to take his place in that dance. There is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. Good things as well as bad, he writes, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. You see, this is what we speak of when on Sunday morning we assemble in this place and we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We call it the Apostles' Creed, but we speak of Trinity. We speak virtually of Trinity every Sunday. We say every Sunday that at the core of the universe, written into the very fabric of reality, is this fountain spurting up from the very essence of existence, this great three-person particle we call the divine, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that hovered over the deep, that spoke creation into existence, that by being broken and split on the cross, unleashed the only power in the world, the power of divine and eternal love. And that's what the church came into being for, to discover over and over again this divine particle, to tap into the greatest of all the powers, to take on the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because the things we can least see are what have the greatest power. No one, the apostle writes, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Righteousness is fulfilled when the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come into our lives and through our lives into the lives of others. This is how we participate in the divine physics. So in these weeks to come, we're going to draw out our life into the life of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and seek to understand the love languages of God, how God speaks to us, to his creation through the personhood of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We speak of Trinity every Sunday, so we are going to take our best effort to approach and immerse and humble ourselves before the one who has humbled himself before us and wonder about what might happen if we drew in the power of the broken, split, crucified particle. Philip, Philip Haley, in one of, his, one of the most powerful books I've ever read, a book called Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed, tells the true story of a little village in France, La Chabon. And in the center of this little village, true story, was a reformed church, a relatively small congregation led by its pastor, Andre Trachme. The time was the early 1940s. 
It was during the occupation of France by the Nazis. Trachme and his congregation were devout students of Scripture. And through their study, they sought to be drawn into the life of God. They had been discussing in their studies the crisis that was going on around them, about particularly what was happening to their Jewish brothers and sisters. Because thousands of Jewish refugees were pouring out of Germany and into France illegally and were seeking sanctuary in towns and houses of sympathetic Frenchmen. Though the French government had declared it illegal to harbor Jews. They talked about this in their Bible studies. And it was easy to do that because for them it was theoretical. Shall we call it theoretical physics? But then came the day in the dead of winter when there was a knock on the door on the home of the pastor. And his wife, Magda, answered it. And there stood on her doorstep in the freezing snow was a young Jewish woman, a refugee from Germany looking for shelter. Now there was no longer theory. It was a person, a person who needed shelter, who needed to be saved. And the pastor's wife, in seeing the frightened Jew, opened wide her door and remembering the words she had studied in Deuteronomy 19, make for yourself a city of refuge, lest innocent blood be shed. She said to the young refugee, come in, come in, come in. And so it began. The pastor's house and the houses of many in their congregation became sanctuary to over 3,000 Jews on their way to escape Hitler's pursuit. In concluding the book about these remarkable people who allowed love for their fellow human being to trump any fear that they might have of the consequence, Philip Haley described it this way, and I will do it in summary. He said, you know, when it comes to hanging a literal door, there is a certain amount of physics involved. There are physical forces that must be balanced between the door frame, the door hinge, and the door itself. The forces of physics must work together and apart in order to allow a door to hang on a frame and to be able to open and close freely. None of these forces of physics are things we see. But then Haley goes on to say, but you know, there are other forces at work when someone has to decide whether to open the door. There are forces at work when on the other side of the door is someone who needs help, someone who needs love, someone whose life brings you risk. There is another force, Haley says, when someone has to decide whether or not to open the door or close the door. Haley doesn't explain what that force is, but we know, don't we? We know it's the divine particle. It's the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. It's the three-person dance of the Creator and the Redeemer and the Sustainer. It is the source of all love, the nucleus of all power, found in the womb of an old lady and in a young girl, broken and crucified, unleashed to abide and to be perfected in us.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.